Uh, so we're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark this morning, uh, but I want to begin by actually turning to the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells a, a parable in, that, that no other Gospel uh, gives an account of. Jesus was eating a meal with sinners and tax collectors, and the religious leaders were upset about that. And so Jesus turned to them and he said to them, Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lost one. Would you not leave the 99 to go look for the one? And when you find the one, there's going to be great rejoicing. I tell you the truth in the same way, when one lost sinner repents, there's greater rejoicing in heaven than 99 righteous people that don't need to repent. Now, only Luke gives the account of that parable. As we read through Mark, we're not going to come to that parable. But what we get in Mark is Jesus actually embodying the parable. When we read Mark, we see Jesus living it out multiple times. And so already, when we made our way through Mark chapter 1, we saw Jesus embodying this parable. Uh, do you remember he was in Capernaum and... He was ministering out of a house, and all the crowds were coming to him, and he was healing people, and he was casting out demons. And eventually it, it became nighttime, and they had to call it quits. And early the next morning, the crowd, those who hadn't yet to, to meet Jesus, they gathered at the house. But the only problem was that Jesus wasn't there. He woke up really early, went to a, a quiet, remote place, and he was praying and his disciples came to him frantic, said, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. What, what are you doing? And he said to them, let's go somewhere else. Let's leave the crowd. Let's leave the 99, and we're going to go somewhere else. Now, objectively, if we just look at this objectively, it makes no sense. Like, good things are happening there are people who have already gathered. They are hungry for, for Jesus. They want to see Jesus. And Jesus is saying, let's, let's leave that. Let's leave the crowd. Why would he say that? Well, we quickly find out. The very next account in Mark is they're leaving. They're on a, a road, and they come across one lost sheep. One man who's suffering from leprosy begins to approach them. This is a man who's been cut off from his community. The disciples would have been telling the, the man, don't, don't come any closer. But Jesus goes over to the man and he heals him, the one. And then they return to Capernaum. He left the crowd, left the 99, went to find the one, and then came back. So this morning, we're going to continue where we left off last week, and we're going to come to the next instance where Jesus embodies the parable of the lost sheep. Join me as we pray for the reading of God's Word. Father God, we pray that your uh, Word would be our rule, and your Spirit would be our guide today, that your glory would be our, our greatest desire May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. 
So we left off in Mark chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus is in a boat. He's been in the boat all day long. And he's been teaching uh, a little bit removed from the shore. The crowds are so large, so aggressive, that he's had to get in this boat and push off from shore just to give him a little breathing space. And he's been teaching in parables. He taught using the, the parable of the sower who sows the seeds, and it only flourishes in the good soil. He taught about the, the seed that gets planted, and, and overnight something happens, and the farmer doesn't know how. God is has worked mysteriously while everyone was sleeping. And then he told about the, the parable of the mustard seed, how the kingdom of God is like the smallest of seeds that, that gets planted in the ground, and then this, this shrub grows that all of the birds of the air come and perch in. It's been a long day. And, and as day turns to night, that's where we pick up in verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in the boat. Let's go over to the other side. So the other side, what they're talking about is the, the Sea of Galilee. They have been ministering on the, the northwestern coast of the Sea of Galilee in the town of Capernaum. And he's saying, let's leave the western side and let's sail to the, the eastern side. Now, the thing that we need to understand about that is that these two different communities are very, very different. On the west side of the, the Sea of Galilee are, Galilee are small Jewish communities like Capernaum. This is home. This is familiar. This is friendly uh, uh, communities. Over on the eastern side, that's called the, the Decapolis, which means 10 cities. This is Gentile territory. This is territory far from home. It's not familiar, and they're not going to be as welcome. This may be hostile. This may be dangerous. And so Jesus is saying, let's leave the, the crowd. Let's leave home. Let's leave what's familiar. Let's leave what's comfortable. Let's leave what's safe and go to the other side that's not familiar, maybe not safe, and there probably won't be a crowd there just waiting to, to listen to what we have to say. Let's go to the other side. It's one of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry. You read the Gospels and you quickly discover that Jesus is a let's go to the other side of the lake type of guy. His mission all along was to go to the other side of the lake. I mean, you think of how it all began. Jesus leaves heaven. The Word, who was with God, who was God, chose to leave heaven to go to the other side of the lake and come to us, to come to, to this earth. Think of the stories that we've already read in, in Mark in choosing to approach the leper someone who they would have stayed away from, someone who was unclean, he's going to the other side of the lake. Instead of traveling around Samaria, deciding to travel through Samaria, he's going to the other side of the lake and stopping and talking to a Samaritan woman. He's going to the other side of the lake and sharing a meal with sinners and tax collectors. He's going to the other side of the lake. What this means is that if you and I are going to follow Jesus faithfully, 
as he taught us, as he demonstrated for us, there's lakes that we're going to have to cross. It means we're going to have to cross the lake. Why? Because the people on the other side of the lake are people that God loves. People that, that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Even if they come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different faith traditions, they're people that are worthy of crossing the lake for. Again, from an objective per, per, uh, perspective, it seems foolish. Like, why, why invest? Why leave the, the friendly shores? Why leave home? Why leave safety and go to this place that is potentially dangerous and, and hostile where we might not be received? If you're going to make a list of pros and cons, the cons are going to win. I mean, the pro side is, well, because that's what Jesus wants us to do. And then the cons, we're going to have a long list of things why it's maybe not a good idea. Why bother? Why go through the hardship? Why allow yourself to be taken advantage of? Why put yourself at risk? Why leave safety and familiarity of a good thing? Why leave the 99 to go to the land of the Gentiles? So if you're guessing that the answer to that question is one lost sheep, that's a really good guess. So Jesus said, let's go to the other side. The disciples, mind you, it's been a long day, they set the, the bow of their, their ship due east, and they begin rowing. We pick it up in verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Have you ever heard the expression, no good deed goes unpunished? So I, I unfortunately have a really good example of this that's kind of fresh. Uh, Warner was helping me hang ceiling uh, drywall on my ceiling a couple weeks back, and uh, he's donating his time, donating his tools, being super generous to me, and we were two or three minutes into the job. We had a 12-foot long, 54-inch wide piece of drywall on this drywall lift, and Warner's cranking it up, and it's just about, I have 10-foot ceilings, it's just about to the, the height of the ceiling, and the cable snapped. And down came the drywall lift on Warner's and uh, the drywall lift won that battle. And so off to the emergency room we went, and, and I think I even said, I'm feeling like no good deed goes unpunished. Here he is helping me, and now he's got this big gash in his head. We don't know, but we've got to wonder, what were the disciples thinking? Like, here we are. It's going so good over here. And Jesus said, let's leave here, and let's go there. And it's late, and they're tired, and here we are, we're rowing. Jesus is sleeping. <laughs> He's sleeping on, on the cushion. And then sure enough, the storm blows in, 
happens frequently on the, the Sea of Galilee. It's positioned, it's nestled in this, this valley surrounded by mountains and perfectly positioned for these storms to blow in in an instant. And this is not just any storm. We know in that boat are at least four fishermen. These are people who, they know, uh, they know the water. They're accustomed to this lake. And the scripture says that they are afraid. And even they are very, very afraid. This is no ordinary storm. And so they wake up Jesus with an accusation. Don't you care if we drown? This was your idea. Do we need to remind you? This was your idea. And here you are sleeping while we're rowing, while we're frantically bailing out the water out of this boat. And it's coming into the boat faster than we can bail it out. It says he got up, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind and it was completely calm. Most sermons that I've heard and a few that I've preached at this point make the, the leap from the literal storm to the figurative storms that we all go through. And the point is made, and rightfully so, that God is greater than any storm that we might be going through. All of that's true. But before we make that jump and begin to consider the storms in our life, I think what we need to try and do is get into that boat with those disciples. And I say that because of an experience I, I had this week. I woke up early one morning this week, and as is my morning routine, I had my pajamas on, I went downstairs, made a, a cup of coffee, got my biscotti, chocolate almond biscotti, sat down on our comfortable leather couch. The dogs nestled their heads in my lap and turned on the news. And I'm watching news about Ukraine and, and seeing images that are disturbing, families that are being separated at the border, the sound of, of sirens in Kiev, and, and people huddled down in the, the metro station underneath the ground. And for me, sitting comfortably, dipping my chocolate biscotti, it's, it's disturbing. But you know that experience for me is so different from the experience of those families that are huddled down in that metro or the families that are at the, the border and being separated. I mean, completely different experience. The disciples thought they were going to die. And they honestly thought, this is it. They were teetering on that edge. If you've ever been in an accident in a car, and there, there's that just that momentary second where you realize something bad's going to happen, and there's not a thing I can do about it. I'm helpless. That's what they're experiencing. We're going down, and no amount of bailing is going to save us. They feel helpless. They're teetering on the edge of, of this is it. And they turn and they wake Jesus up. Don't you care? And he stands up and looks right into the, to the storm and he says, quiet, be still. 
and everything goes cold. The other night, the, the wind was blowing against our house, and we have a storm door that often comes unlatched and is banging against the house and banging against the railing. What I didn't do was open the door and look west and say, hey, enough. I grabbed the storm door and, and shut it and, and made sure that it stayed shut. Jesus looks into the storm and says, enough. The disciples who were afraid, who thought they were going to die, you know what they are now? Terrified. They've gone from being afraid to absolutely terrified because they're starting to just get a little recognition of who it is that's in the boat with them. Jesus rebuked the storm, and then he rebukes the disciples. He said to the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I wonder, what was it that Jesus wanted the disciples to do? Where did they go wrong? Why are you so afraid? I would imagine them wanting to say back, why aren't you afraid? How can you possibly sleep? Why aren't you grabbing a bucket with us to, to try and help us? And I also wonder, do you think he was really asleep? Or was this maybe an opportunity for learning to take place, maybe even a, a test? What did he want from the disciples? What should they have done? What would have the faithful response been? Well, I think maybe the faithful response would have been to wake him up quicker. Like before the boat is actually sinking, before you recognize that we're going down and there's not a thing we can do about, why don't you wake Jesus up quicker? Don't we do that? I've got this. No, I, I, can, I can manage. God helps those who help themselves. I'm not going to get God involved until I've thoroughly done everything that I can do. That's the only responsible thing. I've got this. Oh, maybe I don't have this. The boat's going down. Better wake Jesus up. Why didn't they wake him up quicker? Why don't we invite Jesus into the situations of our life quicker? Maybe we don't think he's powerful enough to do anything about it. Or maybe like the disciples, we don't truly believe he cares. If we're on our own with or without Jesus, we're, we're on our own. I think what Jesus is saying is I care. I care about your marriage. My care about your children care about that addiction that right now is beating you up I care about the financial crisis that you find yourself in and I care about your health Jesus stills the storm disciples are no longer afraid they're now terrified who is this they questioned even the wind and the waves obey him it's remarkable to think that they still didn't know who was in the boat. Think of what they've witnessed. This is the, the same man that they saw cast a demon out of the man in the synagogue, touch a man who had leprosy and his skin became clean, watched him heal a man who was paralyzed, who was lowered down through a roof in front of them, observed him silence the religious leaders, 
And only now is it beginning to dawn on them that Jesus is far greater, far more powerful than anything that they've imagined. Who is this? The author, Annie Dillard, offers a, a stinging rebuke to us. She writes, does anyone have the foggiest idea of what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? So we continue the story. They're terrified. They're exhausted. And they finally make it to the, the other side of the lake. So what do we expect to happen? Well, what we've seen, Jesus leaves a crowd. He usually ends up healing somebody and then returns to the, the 99. And sure enough, they arrive on the, the coast and there's a herd of pigs on the, the countryside and the hillside, which lets them know we're far from home. Like, who eats pigs? Jews certainly don't eat pigs. And there's all the, the pigs and they get out of the boat. And no sooner do they get out of the boat than a man who is demon-possessed charges them is running straight towards them and falls down at Jesus' feet. This is a man who is, is so possessed that his community has tried to bind him with, with shackles. And yet the demons in this man overpower whatever shackles that, that are put on him. He breaks the shackles. Night and day we read that he's in the, the, the caves and amongst the, the tombs and he's crying out. All day and all night long, he's cutting himself. This is a man who is in absolute torment. He is a lost sheep of a man. And he charges Jesus and he falls down before him. And the demons speak to Jesus, what do you want with us? Don't, don't make us go away. Cast us into the pigs. Jesus cast the demons out of the man into the pigs. The pigs run off the cliff into the water. People in the community are a little upset. They just lost all of their, their pigs. They want Jesus to leave. And the whole episode ends with this man wanting to get in the boat with Jesus to go back to the other side of the lake. Like, take me with you. He is now dressed. He's now in his right mind. He's healed. And Jesus says this. Stay. Don't go with me. I want you to stay here. I want you to tell everybody about what's what you've experienced. So the man went away, and he began to tell in the Decapolis, in the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So Jesus leaves the 99 in Capernaum. He sails to the other side of the lake to plant one mustard seed in the life of one lost sheep and then come to find out that lost sheep has thousands of mustard seeds in him that he begins to plant all throughout the Decapolis. And if we were to step back and look at this on a larger scale, what we see is that the gospel is now going to the Gentiles. Through this one man, Jesus is now saying it's time for the good news to go to the world. We are the Gentiles. We are the people living in the Decapolis. 
The gospel came to us because Jesus decided to cross a lake, plant a seed, which planted more seeds, which planted more seeds, and now it's our turn. We get to plant seeds. Join me as we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you lived your life. Lord, you, you taught us, but you also demonstrated for us what it means to, to follow you, what it means to be on mission. Lord, uh, help us cross boundaries because it, it's always, it's never easy to do so. Help us cross boundaries, help us plant seeds, and then we pray uh, through the power of your spirit that you would cause those those seeds to germinate and to produce. Lord, our, our hope is in you. We pray this in your son's name.